This is Another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio, KOOP Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM, and KOOP.org. I'm your host, Mark Rayshap, here to appreciate wines from all over the world and to talk with Austin's leading wine professionals, from winemaker to sommelier and everyone in between. Now it's time to put another bottle down. All right, good afternoon, Austin, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in and being here with us. It's a wonderful day. We have our quarterly beer episode, and live in the studio, we have a handful of wonderful guests. Kelly Meyer, who is owner of the New Braunfels Brewing Company. We have his brewer, Nathan Rice, and Justin Chamberlain, who has worked for a while at Die Due doing their menu and is now independent, but is a big fan of the New Braunfels Brewing Company, and so he's going to chime in on some of the sensory analysis and all of the cool stuff. Uh, but we're going to kick off our show today with Paula Rester, who is beverage director, wine director at La Corsia hospitality and Paula is in charge of Maddie's she's in charge of crafting the wine list at second and um, oh and another a number of places and she's here to talk with us about this really cool upcoming wine event called the superstars of Chile so we'll get it into it with her in just a moment All right. Hey, Paula Resta, thank you so much for coming into the show. You've been on the show before. We talked about your past and uh, all of the cool things that you have going on at the La Corsia uh, Hospitality locations. So welcome back to the co-op studios. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And you're doing such cool stuff at, uh, name for us again, all of the, the properties that you uh, are in charge of the wine list and you do staff training and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a second burn kitchen. Um, we've got one downtown in the Second Street District, and then we have one um, in Domain Northside. It's a part of the Archer Hotel. <clears throat> and we also have, we just opened one in the airport, which is kind of super exciting that, and fun. That's I a new saw project. that, and I was so excited that I can have a delicious glass of wine as yeah, I'm waiting for, for, for my flight. And <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's super fun. I'm looking forward to going there and having a glass myself. Um, and, and the burger, too. That, that's, that's true. And, and the fries, the truffle fries. Um, uh, yeah, and then uh, we also have Boiler 9 um, downtown in the Seaholm Power Plant. Um, and then we have uh, Maddie's at Green Pastures, which is a project that we just opened in the spring. Yes. Very, very cool stuff. So, um, well, we, you, I brought you in today to talk about what is going on with this wine event. It's called, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the Superstars of Chilean Wine. Yeah. So, um, tell us about it. Yeah. Thank you so much. So, uh, this is a this is a project um, uh, that I've put together with Wines of Chile and with Vine Connections um, that I'm really passionate about and excited about because I've just kind of fallen in love. Uh, with this new wave of winemakers uh, making wine from the extraordinary diversity of terroir in Chile. You know, when we think of Chilean wine, or at least when I, I love to have like my preconceived notions just shattered. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, Absolutely, you know, yeah. when I think of Chilean wine um, in the past, you know, I think about those value bottles, you know, that you can maybe find on the shelves of your grocery store, things from producers like Conchi Tora, um, mostly grown in one region within Chile, coming from the Mall Valley, kind of right on the Valley floor, where, uh, where you can produce really great wines of of uh, of quality, but 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 value, and that's kind of like what people think of when they think of Chilean wine, and they they also think of uh, icon producers. Um, uh 
I guess producers maybe like Almavia that is a project of like the Rothschild family. Right. Um, but but what's happening is that you have this new generation of winemakers coming in, really pushing outside and exploring uh, the possibilities of the incredible terroir that is that is in Chile. You know, Chile is a really long country. It's right. Like a thousand miles of um, of wine growing region and diverse um, climates and, and they can do everything from cool climate Pinot Noirs and Syrahs to, to to really warm climate cabs right yeah absolutely um, you know Atacama Desert is the driest desert in the world you know you like Quantum of Solace the James Bond movie was filmed there so right. you have this really arid terroir and then you know in the south you've got Patagonia you've got penguins so it's uh, so there is kind of a lot a lot to offer and um, having an opportunity to have these winemakers come and kind of highlight uh, a, a really range of, uh, w- of what's truly happening in the country and what's now available for export is uh, really exciting to have them all in one right. place. And, and so these winemakers are actually coming. The winemakers who, in your opinion, are, are really pushing the bar and trying to really showcase the diversity of terroir and all of that. And they're coming to Austin, right? They're, they're coming to Austin um, and they're coming to, to uh, they're, they're coming to kind of to, to show what they've got. Um, can I can I name off? A yes, few of, of course. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So so this this, uh, this event we're calling the Superstars of the New Chile, um, and uh, and we've got uh, Felipe Varela from Casa Silva. Um, we have uh, Eduardo de uh, Solminiac from um, uh, Aquatania, uh, Felipe, uh, Felipe Garcia from Garcia Schwederer, Julio Bouchon from the Bouchon Winery. I'm very passionate about those wines. Yeah. Um, Diego Rivera from uh, Amanya Boya, and Carolyn Rivera, who's the brand ambassador for Mayu. Um, wow. So, so quite a few incredible there. lineup. And where can folks find more information? This is happening. Well, this is, we should say it's happening Saturday, this upcoming Saturday, right? It is. So it's happening this Saturday. Um, it's going to be on the terrace at Second Barn Kitchen at the Archer Hotel, Domain Northside, from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. And if you're interested in this event, you can find tickets on uh, on Eventbrite under the title "Superstars of the New Chile." All right. So Google Eventbrite "Superstars of the New Chile." Paula, thank you thank so you much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it's it. It's always a pleasure to have you in the studio. You keep on uh, bringing really unique experiences to the Austin area. So for that, I'm very appreciative. Um, and so I wish you I wish you the bet, best with the event. I will be there and, uh, and tasting some wonderful Chilean wines. Lovely. We look forward to hosting you. All right. We're going to continue on with our show. And uh, we just tasted some really unique beers out in the co-op studios. Uh, and... Paula wanted to chime in there. <laughs> she chimed in, very delicious. But these are beers that actually bridge the gap between wine and beer. And these brewers and uh, and and these folks who are in charge of New Braunfels Brewing Company are are doing very unique things. So it's going to be a true honor to bring them on to the to the show and really talk about unique styles of beer, talk about all the different kinds that they're of barrel aging that they are doing with their beers, and they are experimenting in a big way with wine yeast and so it's going to be really great to get to know them we're going to take a short break hear some music as i get everybody situated and so we'll be back with kelly meyer justin chamberlain and nathan rice so stay tuned all right we're back um we're, we're having some uh, difficulties with music but this show is not about music uh it's about talking about the beverages that inspire us and bring us closer to family and friends and all, all kinds of great experiences so it's really an honor to welcome into the studio uh we have kelly meyer who is owner of um the new braunfels brewing company kelly thank you so much for being here 
Absolutely, man. Thanks for having us up. I appreciate it. Yeah, wonderful. And then your brewer uh, down there in New Braunfels, uh, Nathan Rice. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Nathan. Hey, thanks so much for having us. We're, we're really happy to be here. The, I, I had some uh, brewing in a former life of mine, so it's great to talk with brewers. And you guys are really, you come from a kind of the scientific background, so um, so it's great to geek out a little bit. I love being a beer geek for sure. <laughs> and for all those beer geeks out there, we're going to get a little bit geeky this hour. So <laughs> Justin Chamberlain, uh, who has uh, been really involved in the wine and beer scene here uh, recently was at Daidue doing their wine list and, and their, their cocktail program and, uh, and is a big fan of the New Braunfels Brewing Company. So, Justin, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. You know, when you were at Daidue, I was trying to get, you know, I was, I was thinking, when, when can I have you in? Because you've got uh, your, your finger on the heart of the, you know, the Texas industry. Uh, Daidue was only Texas wines um, and really really, really local ingredients that go into all of those things. So it's a great honor to have you on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Well, uh, you know, Kelly, I'd like to start with you and just have us give, uh, give you, have you give us a, some perspective on what New Braunfels is doing uh, and what your focuses are. You do a lot of experimentation, but that's not all you do, right? No, and in, in a way that is all we do. Okay. Um, <laughs> I guess the best way to explain it is that a lot of brewers come in and they make the same beer every day. And the best way to be a great brewer is to make the same beer the exact way so that the can never explodes, tastes the same no matter where you drink it. And that just doesn't feed my soul. Right. So <laughs> I, it's definitely part of the industry. It's part of the business. But for us... Every day is a question of how can we make something more amazing than we made yesterday. Right. So that traditional thought of you, you, you craft this recipe, that takes a lot of work. But then once you find the sweet spot, then should just do that the rest of your life. That's not what you're into. No. Uh, <laughs> we, we constantly try to crack that up and, and find a new way to do the same thing or add a, a better fruit or a more unique fruit or uh, just another process that's going to make it more interesting in a way, but also push us to be the best we can possibly be. And we might be discussing over this hour about the diversity of beer um, and and what different styles it can do. And it's not just that typical lager that, that you know, 10, 20 years ago we might have just seen on the shelves. And so uh, that's going to be our subcurrent as we talk through this hour, this diversity, food friendliness, as we were talking about in in the lobby and all that kind of stuff is that is that what you you know the the number of styles can never end right right well it's the same thing as as food every time a, a chef makes a new dish or a, a new way to make create and recreate an old dish there's a different slightly different wine pairing that would go with it and the same with beer and so uh, we're, we're constantly trying to come up with a new idea and a new design for that reason. Well, what, what are some of the ways that you categorize what you do, your beers, and, uh, and, and some of the ways that we think about? Because you don't just do, we're going to be talking about a wheat beer base, but it's not just wheat beers, right? No, so the best way to explain it is that in our brewery, we create a fairly traditional German-style wheat beer to begin with. And we use that as a base beer to create a lot of other things, and probably the we do a lot of farmhouse things where we'll take the wild yeast and bacteria that's indigenous to our brewery and exists in our brewery, living in the barrels, the walls, probably in my hair, um, everywhere. <laughs> right. And so we'll do a, we'll have a farmhouse line of a variety of those beers that either you know, refermented with fruit or we added lemongrass. And then we have a huge line of what we call the surlees, which is going to be uh, wine barrel lees aged things. And so we've got two uh, two light beers and one dark beer in that program. And then we have a whole Saison Day series, which is going to be our beer refermented with locally grown fruit. 
And we've done that with clementines to wine grapes. It's been a little bit of everything. So. Wow. Um, you know, I, so Nathan, I might have you chime in and just telling us uh, the, you know, maybe the, some of the broad brushstrokes of brewing beer and, and starting with, with grains, and then we can kind of get into the experimentation that you have uh, going on at New Braunfels Brewing Company. Sure. Uh, so the, the basic thing with making beer is we're taking malted grain and uh, we're converting the starch in that grain into sugar. And then we're converting that sugar into alcohol and CO2. That's like the absolute bare bones basics you can get with it. Uh, one of the cool things that we do uh, at New Braunfels is that most beers are uh, barley based. And a lot of our beers are wheat based. Uh, all of the beers we do are 85% wheat. Uh, and it's kind of just uh, lends a different character to the finished beer. Uh, the the relatively few clean beers we do are all German influenced. So uh, Luftweiss, our Hefeweizen, uh, is 85% wheat, a very traditional sort of wheat beer, which I think we do a very good job with, but that's the, we have to do a good job with it because it's the core of all the rest of the, the beers we make in the, the Blondine program. So uh, Blondine is the Hefeweizen that we then put our house culture in. It gets kind of a nice uh, sourness and funkiness to it. And then that uh, moves into uh, the Saison Day series and the uh, Very Seldom Naughty, which is what we were tasting earlier, the, the, the Surly's uh, with the white wine grapes. So anyways, we do all kinds of, of fun stuff with that. But if you don't have a good base beer, nothing you make down the line is going to be good. So uh, keeping up the quality of that is, is sort of my primary goal. Right. So you start with this clean. And, and when we say clean, we're meaning uh, not having that funkiness from the bacteria and all of that, that, that stage later on in the process. Exactly. Right? Exactly. How, how, so how would you describe that? So it's based and inspired by the German Hefeweizens, right? Yep. Yep. Very much. So New Braunfels is, is definitely a, a German town. It's, there's a lot of uh, German influence down there. And so uh, I mean, Kelly can probably speak to it a little bit better, but I know that when we were starting out, uh, there's a lot of German-influenced beers. We did an Oktoberfest. Uh, we'd have a Dunkelweiss and a Weizenbach and a Hefeweizen. So all these crazy German beers that, um, again, are fun to make, but if that's all you're making, it doesn't, as Kelly said, feed the soul. So a right. lot of what we do is try to uh, build up what those can be and change the expression of what you can find in there. So uh, that's been one of the, the fun things we get to do. Uh, and Justin, uh, Ch Justin Chamberlain, I might bring you in here to talk about w how you discovered New Braunfels Brewing and how within the climate of beers and breweries out there, and there are just so many these days, uh, what attracted you to them and, and what was that path for you? Uh, well, I first tasted them uh, at another brewery um, and got to compare them to uh, that brewery, and I was really excited about them. Um, they were made in much smaller batches. Um, I felt like the connection I had with Kelly, uh, originally buying directly from him, um, I thought that really brought uh, a unique experience to the wine list where these beers might only be available at the restaurant that I was working at. Right, right. And that, and that is, you know, such a difficult thing for, and, and a, an inspiring thing for certain restaurants to carry something that is, you can only find there and that is local and, and inspired by local ingredients and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, there was dishes that we made that we might only made one time because all of those ingredients, uh, came in the door that day and next year they might not all grow together, but to be able to find a an obscure, unique beer like that to pair with them really makes the, the dining experience uh, much different than 
Yeah, and we've talked about uh, we, we've talked. You and I have talked about uh, this food pairing and and food approachability with these beers. Can you talk to that when when you're pairing and uh, food with beer and and maybe you guys can chime in too? What are the characteristics that you really like and and that look for? And when you say, "Oh, this is a a good food beer," uh, what are you really looking for? I mean, when when you deal with um you know the sour beers and 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 they're tart uh they're dry i think they crave salt they crave smoke they uh crave fat so uh german food texas food barbecue um you know that that's what i'm looking to pair those types of beers with for sure yeah very cool um and and absolutely these breaking down these beers into components is something that is very essential once you then start matching those components up with the food uh, and that's one of the fun things that that uh restaurateurs can do with with beers and kelly did you I, I hear from a lot of winemakers who say, oh, we want food-friendly wines, and that was almost the source of what they do. Is, it Was that something of an inspiration, or did you just want to want to experiment and, and just try and discover new things? Well, the short answer to that would be that I didn't give it anywhere near that much thought. But um, <laughs> at the end of the day, I am, I was in the, when I first started the brewery, I was equal parts a scotch lover, a Napa Cabernet wine lover, and a beer lover. And so... All of those influences have played into what we make and kind of the direction of the company. Yeah. Uh, thank God Nathan agrees with me on the direction of the company. And so some, right. most of the time, I should clarify that, most of the time. And so, um, this, but yes, I mean, I, I want to be able to sit down with that beer, with an amazing meal that I prepared or somebody else prepared, and have it work with uh, flavors build off one another or complement or contrast each other. So, you know, is that in the business plan? Mm-hmm, maybe not. But is it is it part of the, the goal of the brewery? Absolutely. Does it work, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, um, you started, and we were talking a little bit about the evolution of the wine industry, and I started off this conversation by saying that you, I think, are doing a really interesting job in bridging the gap between wine and beer. Can you talk about uh, how you're, you're trying to do that, how you're thinking about that, um, and you're growing with the wine industry, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the best way to say it would be that we just we don't really put that boundary on ourselves. And so we're not trying to make a wine or a beer necessarily. We're trying to take whatever ingredients are available to us and make the most interesting product that we can make. And so I have found a lot of Texas producers that make some really great stuff. And I've been very inspired by what they do and how they do it. And so being able to incorporate not only their products, but their, their that kind of expertise into the, what we make, it, it's been a lot of fun. So you know, I'm not intentionally trying to bridge the gap, although we do have one label that does shed a little bit of light on the growing argument between Texas and non-Texas producers, just because I think it's an argument that needs to be had. But yeah. <laughs> well, we can do that. I mean, you, you've so you, you've said that the Texas industry and we talked about this, that uh, it has been improving and growing. Right. You, you almost said that in in your beginning, uh, there was only a handful of, of, of wineries that you would really trust to take products from. Absolutely. And I, I think anyone that's been in and around wine for a long period, and, and I would shudder to think you'd agree with me, Mark, that uh, if, if it, makes, it makes a difference whether the grape is from a region, whether there's uh, you know obviously a seasonality to it. But so Texas is just a little behind the curve on that. And the guys that are doing a really great job of trying to highlight the grapes they can grow, the way they can get them grown and, and make the best wine they can that way, instead of just over-processing or supplementing with California fruit, 
which I have nothing wrong with. I like California wines in California bottles, but it's just a different way to do it. So Right. Well, th- this we, we talk about the wine industry as being this hyper uh, sensitive to geography. And in theory, most breweries and, and uh, most breweries don't really need to show off their geography. I mean, you can get grain from anywhere. It's very transportable. Hops you can kind of get from anywhere. But, uh, you know, this idea that you can be a local brewery uh, and dealing with local ingredients, that's something relatively new in the beer industry, right? Sort of. Um, so our Local style experts probably going to be Nathan's. You may want to ask him how yeast played a role in how all these beer styles kind of created throughout history. But there is a regionality of it. It's just sort of those people are recreating them in a laboratory, I guess is a better way to say it nowadays. Right. So Nathan, when we talk about these yeast and this interesting biological factor that's going on in the brewery, uh, is that, you know, how do you how do you think about that? You think of that as being regional, right? Oh, it absolutely is regional. I think the best example of that is uh, the, the styles of beer that they make in Belgium. You have lambics, uh, you have uh, oud bruns, you have all kinds of different styles of beer that are very specific to that region. And the reason they're specific to that region is because they use uh, wild yeast and bacteria that only grows there. Their whole makeup of what is uh, constitutes the, the flora and fauna that exists in their beer doesn't exist anywhere else. And one of the really cool things that you've start, started to see is the... Uh, beer boom has happened in America is a lot of people want to recapture that very traditional way of making beer that that what is the the terroir because you're right you can get grain from just about anywhere and you can get hops from New Zealand you can get hops from Washington state but one of the things that truly truly makes a beer local is what's in the air what's the wild yeast and bacteria that you have available to you and that was one of the things that drew me to what Kelly was doing at New Braunfels is that uh, back when he started he just kind of took that to task and, and, and put some wort out there. Wort is the unfermented beer that's still kind of the sugary liquid before it uh, turns into beer itself. And if you leave that out, you can actually capture the wild and yeast and bacteria that's local to that specific area. And um, there's other breweries in Texas that are doing that. And even their terroir from where they're located is different than the very specific specific regionality we have right there in New Braunfels. So it's a really fun flavor profile to play with and makes our beer unique just as it makes other people who use that technique and makes their beers unique as well. Yeah. Um, Justin, you know, this idea that the sour, this, this biological flora and fauna of the, um, well, I guess just flora, right? <laughs> They're not animals. Uh, um, well, I don't know. You got, you got fungi, fungus, which is yeast and then bacteria, which is, you know, so you're kind of bridging a okay, lot well, of Okay. Well, we'll say flora and <laughs> well, <yeah>. fauna. <laughs> Does that, I mean, do, do breweries, you know, from your perspective, do they have to watch out? Is it a, a balancing act? Can something be overly sour? Can something be, and is it something that you guys talk about and uh, Whereas that balancing act between, okay, too sour and still maintaining the characteristics of the beer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, think about the uh, Zinfandels from California when when Zinfandels were so cool and they were 16% alcohol and and gaudy. Uh, The same thing is happens with these sours when sours are cool people want to make them as sour as possible right. when ipas are cool let's see if we can make 120 ibu um 
hot bomb that you know tastes like a tin can or something and do you think people are now so you almost have this boom of where like everybody wants to produce a sour everybody wants to produce something really hoppy and then then there's a backlash a little bit do you see that yeah Yeah, definitely because i was always critical i'm relatively sensitive to hops and these really hoppy beers i thought well there's no art to that you could just dump in more hops you know and if, if you want and where's the balance yeah um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I see that all the time, um, especially with the the Goza style that became really popular last summer. I mean, they were they were all over the road uh, and, and, and balance and sour and salt. You know, it was all over the road. Right. And do you guys pay attention a lot about that in in the brewery? I mean, you know, you, you've talked about some, how some barrels don't really go right. Is that what uh, and then you have to kind of just uh, cut the cord and do away with them. Right. And that's a hard thing to do as a business owner. I like to walk out of the room a lot of times when Nathan does that, but <laughs> it has to be done. It's definitely part of the process. So. Yeah. Yeah. Just making sure that the quality is exactly where you want it. Yeah, and you get kind of a drift characteristic, and, and Nathan being the science nerd may want to talk about that a little more, but what, what we wind up with is that bacteria tend to take over, and so if we're repitching the same culture over and over and over on a long enough timeline, it's going to be way more acidic than it was three years ago, which in the same beer would cause it to taste different. So we have to take some steps to make sure that we, or at least testing that along the way, making sure that you know the product that you get in the bottle as much as we love the fact that it's a little inconsistent and changes, it's got to be within a range, and so it's going to be pretty tight. Yeah, Nathan, I'd actually like to get into a little bit of the specifics of this house culture. And, you know, I know that some breweries reuse their yeast as a way of saving costs, but for you, it's that characteristic terroir of the brewery. Can you talk to some of the, the particulars? I mean, how do you do that and you, and you keep the yeast going on and on, right? Yeah, yeah, we've had the same house culture yeast for the the entire duration of the brewery. So it's four years, it's been the same house culture. But as Kelly said, it does start to drift. So when we talk about house culture, basically what we're looking at is sort of the makeup of the different um, biome that's in there, essentially. So a lot of the bacteria that you end up with are uh, lactobacillus bacteria, uh, which is the same kind of bacteria that you find in Greek yogurt and gives you that nice lactic acidity. There's another bacteria called Pediococcus, which also produce lactic acid. Um, and then you start going into the uh, yeast area, and Saccharomyces is your traditional brewer's yeast. So um, Saccharomyces cerevisiae is, is the one that everybody uses. There's different varieties of that that will produce different flavors. So you can have German ale yeast, you can have Belgian yeast, you can have lager yeast, you can have all kinds of different types of yeast. But the wild yeast that we use is an entirely different um, type of yeast called Britannomyces. And that Britannomyces is really kind of come into vogue over the past uh, five, ten years in the United States, just in that people are really trying to explore the flavor profile that that brings. Traditionally, that was considered a uh, an off flavor and something that was not desirable. And especially in wineries, uh, when we take our beer to, say, William Chris to like drop it off because we've used some of their barrels, uh, we have to wash our hands, we have to wash our feet. They don't open the barrels because <laughs> right. they don't want a, a Britannomyces infection, but that's something that we're trying to cultivate. Chris will go behind me with parasitic acid and like spray my footsteps. <laughs> and and it's, it's, a, it's a precaution they have to take because that is an off flavor and an infection in a lot of wineries. And so 
what I have to do is try to cultivate that biome to try to express and be as consistent yet as creative as we can be. And a lot of that means um, changing the hop levels because the people, the, the reason people used hops traditionally was because they're antimicrobial. They prevented spoilage. So if you increase the IBU levels, you're going to decrease the bacterial load and increase the Britannomyces character. So there's a lot of like sort of twists in the dials and knobs on the fermentation activity to get that uh, wild culture exactly where you want it. And that's something that Kelly and I will go through and sort of taste where Blondine, our base wheat beer is at like, all right, how do we want to tweak this so that we can keep that consistent? Really? So you, this is kind of news. I didn't realize that, that, um, breweries were doing this and maybe you're somewhat unique that you, uh, are constantly talking about the health and the characteristics that your house strain is giving, right? And, and, and so, so if, if it's going one way, you might have to brew certain beers to get it back into whack. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Uh, one of the things that Kelly and I talked about was that we thought that our culture was starting to skew a little too acidic and it was just becoming, uh, you know, a little more lactic than we wanted. So we had to bring it back into, into bear a little bit. So very cool. Um, so, you know, I learned something and we learn something every day, right? Um, we should. Do, yeah, we, we hope so. Yeah. I learned a whole lot out in the lobby, uh, tasting these beers. Um, well, we're going to take a short break and, uh, and then we're going to get back, uh, talking about New Braunfels Brewing Company and we're going to be delving into the wine crossover and what they're doing with very seldom naughty, which is very exciting. So, uh, stay tuned. I'm here live in the studio with Kelly Meyer, who is owner of New Braunfels Brewing Company, Justin Chamberlain, and Nathan Rice, brewer of New Braunfels Brewing Company. So stay tuned and uh, a lot more amazing talk to be had here on Another Bottle Down. Scenes from the past rise before me. Watching the bubbles in my beer. That is uh, that was Willie Nelson. Bubbles in my beer, wonderful. Um, we always have fun uh, playing some uh, beer themed music on the show. Uh, this is Co-op Radio, K O O P ninety one point seven FM and K O O P dot O R G. Always streaming. Uh, you can get the podcast of this show uh, if you go to K O O P dot O R G slash Another Bottle Down. There will be a link to the archive. Uh, all of our great music programming is available for two weeks on Radio. Free America. So go to the co-op webpage for that. So much amazing stuff going on. So many great uh, DJs and radio personalities on this show. I always learn something from everybody and, um, and, and a great community. So thank you to everybody who supported the station during Membership Drive. Um, it allows us to continue to talk about beer and wine and the unique things in life. So if you're just tuning in, we're here with Kelly Meyer, and who is owner of the New Braunfels Brewing Company in New Braunfels, Nathan Rice, who is his, is his brewer, and Justin Chamberlain, who is um, super knowledgeable on beer, came from Dai Due and is now uh, consulting and freelancing, but always a fan of high-quality beers and Texas wines. So guys, again, thank you for being here. Kelly, we, um, we kind of left off by talking about how you're starting to try to bridge the gap between wine. You were a wine lover, um, and you wanted to bring some of those sensibilities into the beer world. Um, can you talk about the your Surly program and what that means to the brewery? Sure. Yeah. So basically, there's three different beers in that program that we we make fairly consistently, and so for us, what that means is maybe four or five releases a year. I guess we should say, what does Surly mean? Uh, with lees, basically. So or or on lees, and so what, what we're doing with that is aging 
our beer in barrels and then adding in uh, white white or red wine lees to it. So we've got two of them that are made with a light beer, uh, very seldom naughty and das local, and then one that's made with a dark beer called Sangre de Shiva, and that one's got red wine grapes in it. And so that was actually the first one that we ever made uh, way, way, way back when. Uh, Chris gave me a, an Enchante barrel in like literally like the six months after we opened or something like that. Um, and so talk about that inspiration. Talk about that, how that went down. So you guys open Chris, uh, Brundrette from William Chris, uh, gives you some, some wine yeast and, and then it inspired this whole thing or how did it go down? Yeah, I was actually at a pickup party for high society. Um, so I was there, uh, you know, obviously most people go out to high to have at, at least a couple of glasses of wine. So, uh, I was probably a little bit better negotiator than normal, and I convinced him to let me have a barrel that was wet. And so, that long story short, I came back out there and didn't have a trailer, just strapped it to the roof of my wife's car. <laughs> 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 She's still mad about it. And I uh, drove it back, and so we made a beer with that one to begin with. Uh, that was the dark beer, red wine. And then from there, the program kind of grew where I wanted to do a light beer, kind of like a Texas Rosé. And that we named that one Das Local. So that's red wine lees in a, a Hefeweizen, our Blondine. So and when you put that light beer, that Blondine, that wheat beer that Nathan was talking about in the first half of the show, uh, on top of the red wine yeast, it tints it pink? Slightly. Slightly. Yeah. Ever so slightly. Okay. It's really more the aromatics and the flavor that come through from the lees. And you know sometimes... Uh, we we do tend to get a little bit of uh, liquid in there as well. I wouldn't, know, wouldn't necessarily call it wine because TABC get mad about that, but it's liquid, and so it, it does add quite a bit to it as well. But yeah, so it's going to be the flavor, a little bit of color, but then you know obviously a lot of the, the overall wine characteristics. Yeah, and something that that we were talking about as we were tasting through six different releases of the very seldom naughty. Very seldom naughty, we should say, is the white wine yeast, right? Indeed. Uh, on top of the light blondine beer. Um, is that w- w- we constantly are asking ourselves how much of the flavor is coming from the beer or the aging or the biology and how much of the flavor is coming from the wine, the, the yeast that was being used and added to the beer. Um, wh- do you think that, do you know, is it, is it just a fun experiment every time or does it really matter to you? Well, we put about the same amount of lees in normally, um, and then we kind of blend them down. So usually what we'll do is put a lot of lees in the barrel with a uh, minimum amount of beer. Um, and so we'll let that age, and then we blend that down to taste. So sometimes we're blending quite a bit down. Sometimes we're like, taste it. Like the 2.6, for example, we took it out of the barrel. We're like, we're not touching this. This is perfect. But other times we've you know added another 40 gallons of Blondine or something like that. Um, so it changes. And is that because the, the wine is a little bit too aggressive or is that because mm-hmm. it's a little bit too sour? Mostly the wine being too aggressive. We want it to be a balanced wine flavor so Very that it cool. doesn't taste like drinking a white wine directly out of a bottle. It's you know, that, that kind of that drier, um, lighter characteristic that you got when you were tasting it is characteristic of it being a blend down. So. Yeah, interesting. Nathan, how do you think about that as far as what comes from the wine and what comes from the biology of the terroir of the brewery? Well, so much what we have to do uh, with these barrel-aged beers is kind of uh, just become stewards of the barrel. And uh, depending on the wine lees, it really does tell us when it's ready. So we will blend it down slightly or we'll leave it kind of uh, alone. But uh, I'd say that uh, maybe 75% of the character just as a rough is coming from the beer. And then the wine is giving you all these really subtle undertones and adding a lot of depth and adding a lot of balance and throwing out some tannins that, that you wouldn't necessarily pick up with the beer and throwing out a lot of different flavor components that, um, 
in fact, one of the the blends that we tasted, which one was it? Five point six on on Madeira. That was five point six. Yes. Yeah, which is a fortified wine, which uh, spent two years in a hot room, like just sort of hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Like just, I think it was a hot box. A hot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so there, there's all kinds of. Um, oxidation characters that come along with that that we wouldn't necessarily want with the beer but you can definitely pick up when we add the the lees in with that beer so uh sometimes that wine character comes through a little bit more depending on the varietal and other times uh the beer just gives it a really nice base to play with yeah absolutely and and we'll talk we'll kind of run through uh some of these releases just to give you a flavor uh out there listening about what these guys are doing because it's very varied and very unique and each uh, releases a, a different wine uh, lees that they're using. Justin, what uh, do you see other breweries doing this sort of experimentation with wine yeast? Is that is that something? Because uh, some wineries I know, or some breweries are taking barrels from from wineries, etc. But um, what do you see out there? I I feel like I've never seen it done quite like this. Cool. Um, of course, uh, incorporating the wine barrels is done. Uh, throughout the country and the world right now. But uh, doing it the way these guys are doing, I feel like is, is very, very unique. Yeah, very cool. Well, um, and we should mention that uh, your website, although you're about to go through a website revamp, uh, Need to, yes. is, um, although there's a lot of information right now, uh, nbbrewing.com uh, is the website, and it'll still stay that uh, that URL when you change over, right? Yep. So um, more information there. Uh, you make so many different styles. You are certainly keeping busy, uh, but we are here talking about your Surly program, and in particular, the very seldom naughty. So um, so I, I guess let's first start talking. Our, our first release was in January 2017. No, so the first one was last summer. Okay, last summer. Unfortunately, we drank all that, so we couldn't give you a sample of it. Apologize, dude. But the first <laughs> one we tasted, yes, was in, uh, I believe it was February of this year. Okay. And then also the information that you're giving on the label is changing too, right? How, how did that evolve? Yeah, so we started dating all of our releases, or every single bottle that came out of the brewery, essentially, um, kind of last September. Which you, li- you see around, you're starting to see mm-hmm. more and more, right? Yeah, well, I think that you kind of need to, and especially with beers like ours that age on yeah. purpose, that you know, if you grab a bottle of Blondine that's a year old versus a bottle that's three or three months old, you're going to taste for distinctly different things. And some consumers are looking for what's in the three-month bottle, and some are looking what's, for what's in the one-year bottle. And so I think it helps really to kind of give that delineation, too, of what, what you're tasting and what you're about to put in your face. But yeah. the, uh, the very seldom naughty in some of these special releases, it makes a little more sense to have some more information. So r- after the second release, we really started putting in the date, the winery, the grape, um, and the release number. So you really had the ability. Uh, you know, I, one day I wanted to do a vertical, and luckily I got to do that with you the first time. So oh, I, I appreciate that. Wow. Well, right. well, we'll post some pictures for sure um, and on the social media and, uh, and certainly on the co-op blog. So uh, you can see what the cool, the cool label design, all of the cool releases and, and information on it. Well, let's run through just to give folks a, a little bit of a, um, a clue in as to what, uh, what you guys are doing, because I know it's hard. Folks are listening out there and it's hard to kind of piece it together. What was our first uh, uh, beer that we tasted out there in the lobby and and uh, what were your thoughts about it that would have been blend two so very solid naughty blend two was a blend of um, was it Shannon Blanc and Viognier from Hilmi Cellars uh, yeah. which is actually a good partner for us as well so those the the Viognier was partially barrel aged Viognier so it gave a little bit of different character to it 
And I will admit there was a little more liquid in those leaves when I got them than some of the other ones. <laughs> but um, that's the unofficial statement. So it just has a lot of very, very wine-forward characteristics. Um, you know, for me, it was just kind of, a, I liked the fact that it was a blend of the two grapes, even though we've uh, shied away from doing that on some of the newer releases just because we wanted to highlight the individual grape. But, you know, super dry, very acidic. Um, that one, being a little bit older, had a little more yeast characteristic to it as well. Well, I think uh, the age allowed it to show some more of this kind of slaty quality. I wrote down in my notes that um, it had a little slatiness typical of Riesling, and I don't know how you guys felt about that. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin, did you notice the, the characteristics of a little bit more age in this one? I mean, I mean what do you expect, you know, Beer uh, aging in bottle is something that is, you know, not a lot of research has been done. And, you know, how does the beer change? I mean, I felt like it was the lightest one yeah. that, that we drink of them all, uh, which uh, is a characteristic of aging wine. Um, right. Some of the tannin gets resolved and falls out. Yeah. And, and, it, and, and something that's really aggressive will smooth out uh, as it ages, right? Yep. And I, I felt it was, um, there was a juiciness to it. There was a, a, a delicate delicacy to it um the funk was really really prevalent from the brett in there for sure um and the just the overall mouthfeel was was uh i think it had the best mouthfeel of them all and i think that came with the age as well very cool very cool yeah nathan what did you think of this one well so one of the things you were asking as we were drinking through these beers is whether or not we stabilize them with anything in the barrels and uh we don't so these these beers are still alive in the bottles and will continue to change and develop uh, and this one, to me, the, the age, just uh, any even slightly rough edges, it, it kind of smoothed out. Um, the, the, the tannin quality definitely was, was a little bit lower, but uh, I was really happy with how it, how it ended up. And it was the first time I've, I've been able to have it since we bottled it back in February. And to sort of see how it's changed and developed has been fantastic. But yes, I agree with Justin quite a bit that the, the funk from the Britannomyces definitely was coming forward and will probably continue to come forward as it ages because the Britannomyces is going to chew up the last of any residual sugar, the last of any residual protein. It's just going to like chomp all that down. It's going to get very dry, very funky. So Yeah, you know, that is, as we went from uh, to the younger bottlings, it did seem that it had a little bit more mouthfeel, almost a little bit more fruitiness. And that's because that Britannomyces didn't yet have a time to, you know, really grab everything, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's very cool. Very cool. Well, that was so, you know, a wonderful experience uh, for a beer that was eight, nine months old, right? You know, coming on 10 months. Um, Cool. Well, what's the, what's the, what was the number two? So now we started to uh, deal with some rosé leaves, right? So this was blend 2.6. Oh, yeah. That was our reserve that we released for our anniversary party earlier this year. Wow. And we should say, you know, the, these, um, the releases of these are such minuscule quantities, sometimes just a barrel, uh, sometimes a half barrel. Uh, and so if you want more information, um, you can send me or, or Kelly an email or uh, go to the website, nbbrewing.com. And uh, my email is markrayshap at koop.org. So um, 2.6. What is the point six? You told me what the uh, point, the decimal system means. That is my uh, strange way of delineating that it's a reserve. So okay. it just means normally it's going to be a smaller production lot, but sometimes uh, in the case of like 5.6, even though it was a little bit smaller, it was just that much more special to us. And so it needed to be a reserve. But 2.6 was, I think, one 15-gallon barrel, so a very limited release. And it was completely spontaneously fermented Malbec rosé from here in texas it was high plains fruit 
and uh, just a super unique wine. If you ever get a chance to find that, that Krausen Rosé is just very acidic for what it is, but um, super. So Krausen was the was the vineyard in Malbec, and then they made rosé out of it. But uh, and you took the the lees from there. Exactly. Cool. Cool. What, what what did you guys think? I mean, I I, I wrote down that you could t- sense a little bit more of the red fruit, um, almost like a um, a blanc de noir champagne is is kind of what I had written down. That even though it's a light or white champagne, you can get these cool red fruit qualities. That that was that was my opinion. yeah. I like that comparison. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't think of that, but uh, I got some tropical fruit, some pickled watermelon rind. Um, I thought the color was beautiful, kind of a golden straw. I think it was a little less carbonated than the first one, and I also like that as well. Um, yeah, can we talk about carbonation? Because um, you know the variety of different carbonation levels can can vary very much, right? In beer, Nathan, do you want to speak to that? What what is your goal for for these beers? Sure. So one of the things we want to do uh, and have to keep in mind is that because these bottles are alive, uh, if you uh, what we do is we prime them with unfermented beer called wort, W-O-R-T, and that gives the yeast and the bacteria in the bottle something to eat. And as they eat, they will produce carbon dioxide that if we get that sort of ratio just right, uh, will give you the sort of the perfect level of carbonation. But there's a, a definite art and science to that. And so we've really been trying to dial that in and get it right for the specific style of beer uh, for every release. Um, but one of the things that happens as you age the bottles is that uh, that carbon dioxide level can go up. So uh, it's important to be aware with these sort of like living beers that, you know, open them gently because occasionally they will, uh, that carbonation level will rise. But what we want out of these is sort of a... Uh, uh, sparkling brightness not sort of in that champagne line but uh that sort of higher level of carbonation uh plays very nicely with uh, more tart and acidic beers yeah right and and whereas if you had a maltier beer the goal might be to have a little less carbonation to highlight that malty kind of creamy qualities to it exactly yeah Yeah. it's all about the mouthfeel of the beer and i kelly hates the word mouthfeel but you do have to speak to it (laughs) in some level because it's part of it's part of how you describe the beer like how is this you know, coating so what, what? So Kelly, how, how do you describe the, you know, the sensorial in the palate uh, experience? It's not mouthfeel specifically. It's uh, if you say it's, it has an aqueous mouthfeel. Oh yes. Right. The, the aqueous mouthfeel. Oh, okay. That's okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just say it's watery. I, yeah. don't, I, don't, I, don't. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, uh, we're going to take a short break. We've got 10 minutes uh, left. We've got a couple more beers uh, to talk about. Um, I'm really having fun here. This is, I try to once a quarter highlight uh, something that's really interesting going on in the brewing community. And uh, it's a real treat to have New Braunfels Brewing in the studio. Kelly Meyer, who is uh, owner, his brewer, Nathan Rice, and Justin Chamberlain, uh, who is a big fan. So let's take a short break and we'll be right back with some final thoughts. And uh, the hour just flies by, right, guys? So stay tuned. Support comes from RK Audiology, comprehensive hearing services for the Austin community, specializing in high-tech solutions for hearing loss, including made-for-iPhone and 24-7 devices, offering custom-fit earplugs for music, sports, and sleep. RK Audiology is located at 2003 South Lamar at West Mary Street. Online scheduling available at earloveaustin.com. Corp would like to thank the following businesses for their donation of food to sustain our volunteers during our membership drive. Ruby's Barbecue, rubiesbbq.com. 
The ABGB, theabgb.com. Threadgill's old number one, threadgills.com. A plus A, Sichuan, China, 13376 Research Boulevard. Thundercloud Subs, thundercloud.com. Eastside Pies, eastsidepies.com. Corriente at 621 East 7th Street. Manja Pizza, manjapizza.com. Texas French Bread, 2900 Rio Grande, texasfrenchbread.com. The Garden Spot, gardenspotcafe.com. Mandola's Italian Market at the Triangle at 4700 Guadalupe. Cherrywood Coffee House at 1400 East 38th and a Half Street. Wheatsville Food Co-op, 3101 Guadalupe and 4001 South Lamar. Veggie Heaven, 1611 West 5th, veggieheavenaustin.com. Via 313, Detroit Style Pizza, via 313.com. Multiple locations in Austin. Counterculture, countercultureaustin.com. All right, uh, you are tuned in to KOOP Hornsby Austin, 91.7 FM and KOOP.org. My name is Mark Rayshap. This is Another Bottle Down, where we normally talk about wine in the wine industry, but uh, I like to highlight uh, local breweries, and these guys at New Braunfels Brewing Company are bridging the gap and doing some really wonderful things, playing with wine yeast, and we're talking about uh, the very seldom naughty release, which has a different number and a different release uh, code associated it with it which tells you the uh the vineyard and the wine that actually it was used for the yeast so really cool stuff very transparent kelly meyer uh nathan rice the brewer of new Braunfels brewing company and justin chamberlain um guys what, let's kind of run through the last couple uh we talked about malbec rosé lees um i think our blend number three was malbec muscat and albarino from uh Hilmi or from william chris Shh. <laughs> You're going to get me fired. Yeah, yeah so that was, uh, me personally, that was my favorite. Um, yeah. And that, there's some things I liked about the other wines, but for that one, it's just aromatic. It was crazy. It was uh, just super fun to drink, and it had this kind of like light mid palate, and then just that crazy aroma of the Albarine or the Muscat kind of came through at the end for me. Yeah. So. yeah. so Muscat, if you're not familiar, is a very aromatic grape. It's a very old grape variety that was uh, prevalently grown in the Greek islands, etc. And, but it's, it's very aromatic, very floral, very clove and spice like. And, and so I think that that's almost a natural fit for, for a beer, right? I, I wrote down that it was the most uh, wine like of the beers for me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Justin, what'd you think? Yeah. I, I gave it a, a lot of Riesling-like qualities, okay. uh, especially in the in the nose, um, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, I think that this was one of my favorites as well. Nathan, anything jump out at you? You haven't tasted this one in a while. Um, so when I put this uh, beer in the barrel, I added the lees first, and then I filled it up with beer, and, and I, I was literally just standing over the barrel, huffing it, and not having a <laughs> not having a big wine background. Like I'm not familiar with what the different grape varieties are going to bring as much as some other people would be. So right. the aromatics of this one immediately popped out and continued to sort of follow through into the finished beer. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and then uh, blend number five was, I didn't write down what uh, what it was, but I wrote down that it was very herbaceous. Vermentino. Oh, that's right. The Vermentino, which um, which uh, you fooled us uh, or you fooled me on, on what it was, but super aromatic. And this was the beer that uh, Paul Arrester from earlier in the show tried and really, oh, yeah. really, really commented and was really loving it. So um, Vermentino, where did it come from? That was from William Chris. One of those guys have gotten really good that if they have leaves from anywhere, 
even if it's like five gallons, they're like, hey, do you want this? And so <laughs> I think it was a very, very small production for that reason. They just had a little bit of Vermentino leaves, and we came out there and filled a keg up, and uh, I, I didn't know anything about it. It's kind of the same thing Nathan said. There's a bunch of wines I know things about, but Spanish varietals don't tend to be one of them. And so that was Yeah. Nothing. Well, Vermentino really, really from the island of Sardinia, it- Italian-owned. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then uh, now it's really, really exciting in uh, on the coast of Tuscany and in Liguria. Uh, it's one of my favorite Italian white grapes. Really? Um, and uh, and um, we were talking about Dukeman Cellars being one of the pioneers bringing the first Vermentino vines to, to Texas. So uh, props to Dave Rock. Riley and always um, William Chris is doing a killer job. Um, cool. What what was uh, our, our blend five point six, which was the Madeira? Can we talk a little bit more about that because it was super special? I thought it was one of the ones we were the most excited about. Nathan, you want to take that one? Uh, yeah. So this was a uh, Madeira, which I can't remember the the base grape. Roussan. Roussan. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Kelly keeps track of all the wine stuff. I just go back and play with the barrels and make sure that it tastes right. But uh, the the fun thing about this was that because it was a, a fortified wine, the the, the Madeira, it uh, really did bring some of those uh, oxidized wine characters to it that I was speaking of earlier, and it really. Um, just kind of brought a whole different level in depth to the base beer that, that we just hadn't experienced in anything before. And I really liked sort of the uh, slightly oxidized, slightly buttery, which is kind of a dangerous word when you're talking about beer. But when you talk about wine, sort of uh, is more appropriate. It just, again, it was like nothing that I'd ever tasted. And I was really happy to see where it ended up. Yeah. And so Madeira, coming from the island of Madeira, uh, this Roussan base uh, gets fortified and then it spends two years in this hot room and these these uh, sugars and the and the uh, carbohydrates kind of caramelize and that's where Madeira. So a really interesting uh, base for this beer. Uh, what, did, what did you think, Justin? Well, I'm actually really familiar with this wine because we served at our restaurant. So right, right. Um, when I first tasted it, it just put a big smile on my face, how I could, <laughs> how I could relate those. And, uh, I did, uh, serve that wine with cured, uh, olives and, uh, charcuterie, um, and kind of treated it like a sherry. And, uh, the end of this beer kind of had those sherry like qualities that I really enjoyed. And, and of course, uh, could relate to the wine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got just a, a couple minutes left and such a great tasting. Thank you so much for um, for bringing those beers all in one shot. That's a very unique experience. Um, how can folks follow along? You've got some releases coming up. Kelly, Did um, uh, is the Facebook page the best way to, to see upcoming events? For real-time information, yeah. Facebook page is always going to be the best. And uh, we've got a couple of great Wait, so releases coming up. Facebook.com slash NBB Brewing. NB Brewing? NB Brew. Okay, NB Brew. So all of our social medias are going to be either splash NB Brew or at NB Brew. Yeah. Instagram, t- Twitter. T- tell us a little bit about this uh, upcoming release. Can we talk about it? Absolutely. We'd love to talk about it. Okay, so cool. It's part of the Saison Day series, which is always a blondine barrel re-fermented in an open barrel with uh, Texas fruit whenever possible, but always with a fresh fruit. And this one happens to be black Spanish grapes from Comal County. And so it's literally about, I think it's 49% wine. So, cause it has to be under 50. So uh, it's 49% <laughs> wine. It literally, we just fermented the grapes in the barrel, open fermented with our culture. And uh, it's a beautiful uh, and Nathan actually drank one yesterday so he knows better what it tastes like but it was great we're happy with it uh, I 
from from my personal preference, it is probably one of the the top ten beers we've ever put out. It just the the black Spanish is such a unique grape, and uh, the amount that we put in there, balanced with the the acidity and the funkiness from our, our house culture, is just phenomenal so i'm really excited about it well great well guys we've run out of time keep up the great work and thank you so much for coming into the co-op studios we're uh talking this hour with kelly meyer owner of new Braunfels brewing uh brewer nathan rice and justin chamberlain uh guys best of luck and stay in touch awesome thanks, thanks for having us listening thank to co-op radio 91.7 fm stay tuned to for the people's republic of austin